Alrighty, well, Merry Christmas. Welcome into the Christmas season. In light of that, we're kicking off a uh, Christmas series that we're calling All I Want for Christmas. And I know it's going to be heavily disappointing. I am not going to sing a ditty for you, okay? Uh, also, don't have Mariah and Bieber here to sing All I Want for Christmas is you, all right? I'll let uh, your spouse or boo or significant other um, sing that to you, whoever you want. But we're just going to call the series All I Want for Christmas because the truth is all of us really kind of want something for Christmas. And I know, like, some of you are adults and you're like, no, I don't do the list thing anymore. Just being together is great. Okay. And it is. Okay. It is. I'm not mistaking that. But at the same time, man, there, there's a good chance there are things that you want. Or maybe there's things that you at least need. Maybe you're one of those guys that puts socks on the Christmas list. Okay. And your wife is thrilled to buy them for you every year. Uh, maybe it's like a new tech gadget or the new phone, like, you know, the iPhone 15 plus. Pro Q RX Ultra Elemento P, right? Okay, they add all the suffixes on there so you can pay a little bit more for them. Uh, or maybe for you, it's like new shotgun, okay, so you can take out Bambi, or it's like a new outfit or a new pair of shoes, whatever that is. We, we all have some things that we probably want. And so over the next few weeks, here's what I want us to talk about. Not your list, but I want us to talk about some things that I think we all want. Um, now, these are not necessarily monetary things or even necessarily tangible things, but these are things that are really some of the greatest gifts that God can give us, some of the greatest gifts that we can pursue that literally will change the way that we live. And so today, if you have a copy of Scripture, go with me to James chapter 4. If you have a uh, hard or digital copy, love for you to like open it up in your lap or wherever you're joining the gathering today, and then we'll put verses on the screen for you to track along with me. Um, as you go to James 4, here's where we're headed today, okay, to kind of go ahead and give you uh, the big heading for today. All I want for Christmas is peace. All I want for Christmas is peace. Now, peace takes on a lot of different forms and fashions, okay? I'm going to let the text guide our conversation today, but the reality is all of us need, want peace in our life, in our relationships. And so today we're going to use Scripture to let that speak into our lives and then hopefully obediently live that out on the backside. Now, if you've been with us since September, we've been walking through the book of James. And so um, we've accomplished James chapter 1, 2, and 3. We took a couple-week break. So today we're picking up with chapter 4. And we're going to dive into that to begin to answer this question and talk about this topic of what does it look like to have true peace. Now, James chapter 4, verse 1 starts this way. We're just going to tackle three verses today. Okay, three verses in three hours. It'll be good. James 4, verse 1, what causes fights and quarrels among you. All right, we're going to stop right there. That's why it's going to take three hours. A lot of start, stop. Okay, what causes fights and quarrels among you? James starts with a really great question. And so I will start with this question to ask you to respond to me. How many of you at some point, maybe recently, maybe not so how many of you have had a fight or a quarrel, a conflict, a tizzy, whatever you want to call it? Anybody had one of those recently at some point? Okay, all right, the rest of you not raising your hand. Next week's on liars. Okay, come back week two. Um, at my house, okay, because I'm a preacher, we don't have fights, all right? We have heated moments of fellowship, okay? Um, deep, intense moments of loving one another in a different kind of way, all right? Um, no, the reality is all of us experience conflict, right? All of us experience a fight or a quarrel, as James says. And if I were to ask all of you to come up on stage and just recite and talk about the last fight or conflict that you were in, okay, one, you'd never come back to the gathering again, all right? But second, some of you would come up and you'd be like, well, I don't know, like, I don't really have any, okay? And we're grateful that you're an angel sent from heaven, all right? But the rest of us, conflict happens sometimes. And chances are, if you were to walk up here on stage and you, and you were to recount 
the last moment of conflict or tension or whatever that is that you want to call it in your life, it would probably start like this, okay? Well, my boss is so overbearing, all right? Or my kids, so ungrateful. My parents, they don't understand anything about my life. My spouse, my wife, my husband, they did they, that. And James starts with a question today. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And for most of us, here's how we would answer James' question. It is what they did. It starts with them. James goes on, though, in verse 1 of chapter 4, and he answers his question with another question, interestingly enough. Look at James chapter 4, verse 1. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And James answers it with kind of like this statement question, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Now, James asks a question, and he answers it with a question, which is a little bit weird. You probably don't do that. Okay, where did James get that? Chances are he got it from his brother. Remember who his brother is? We've been talking about that as we've been walking through the book of James. James' brother was who? Jesus. Right, okay. You read some of Jesus' teaching in the New Testament. A lot of times, like, he asked the question. He let the awkward silence sit there, kind of like in small group. And then he goes, what about this? And he answered his own question, okay? Side note, can you imagine growing up, right, the brother, like, your sibling is Jesus, okay? Like, if James and Jesus, like, little boys tussling in one room, Daddy Joseph walked in, and he just starts wearing out James. He didn't even ask him what happened. He's like, no way Jesus did it, right? No, like, it, was, it was you, all right? Mama, probably a lot more like, hey, why don't you just be a lot more like your brother, okay? Um, that was James' life. And so James went, you know what? I'm going to put this on the lowest shelf. That's how Jesus taught he learned that, and so he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And then he answers it, and he says, it's from your desires that battle within you. Now, some translations, maybe yours uses the word, not desires, but uses the word passions. You know what the Greek word there, you know what that translates as? It's the word hedonism. And you go, what, what is that? Well, hedonism is this. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it with who I want to do it with. And you're not the boss of me, so who are you to try to tell me what I want to do? And I would just say today, culturally, here's how we say that, um, you do you, boo. <laughs> and that's the God of the universe right now, church. You put you in the middle, and then we live with this silent expectation. We might not say it, but we just live with this silent expectation that everything will circle around me and my wants and my desires and my preferences. And James says, where does the conflict start? Man, it starts from your passions, your desires that battle within you. You ever thought about this? You know what? I don't know how old you are, but you know what the common denominator is for all of the quarrels and the spats and the tizzies? All of them in your life, do you know, what the, you know what the common denominator is? You. You've been present for every single one of them. The problem is we have a desire, and we all inside of us have a you-don't-know-who-you're-talking-to part of us. And James keeps going. He says, man, you, you want to know where the fights and quarrels come from. They come from the battle within you. And then verse 2, he adds this phrase. He says, you desire, but you do not have. Catch this. Let's, like, let's slow this down. James says the reason that you and I fight, the reason we have conflict and disagreement and all of that is because why? Is because you want something 
and you don't get it. Right? Like, what if you just stopped and just said that, like, out loud? Like, as an adult, many of you are adulting. Like, you have big boy jobs, okay? And you just said, you know what? I want something, and I don't get it. And you just have to go, like, how childish does that sound? But yet, man, how truthful is what James says. You see, desire is simply this. You ready? Desire means a selfish pursuit of satisfaction. That's what desire is. It's a selfish pursuit of satisfaction. The reason we fight is because we want something, but we don't get it. And the moment that I share this, like even already, it's just so comfortable in here. All right? If you're online, it's just a warm, fuzzy feeling in the room already. All right? I can see, like, I can see the defense raising up. Just some of your faces, you're like, all right, I already don't like this preacher. All right? We should have never gone to this church, right? All right? And you go, whoa, 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 preacher. No, you don't know my situation. Right? You've never been in my marriage. You don't know my household or my workplace. No, it's not that I, I just want something. It's, a, it's my right. No, I, ju- I just want justice. Right? Can you just like, be honest today? All right. That's really just like some cover-up verbiage that we like to use. I mean, we could change it. We could say, like, no, you wanted something that you thought you deserved and you didn't get it. And it desire that battles within us. Typically, it sounds like this. This is how it actually comes out in conversation in my house, too. Okay, um, When my wife said this, it made me so mad. Right? When my kids disobeyed and they did this, it just made me so mad. Or my parents, they don't know. They set this rule on how I do my phone and when I come home, and it made me so My boss, they made me so Listen to me. Nope. Nobody can make you anything. Remember we talked about a few weeks ago, if you are here with us, sticks and stones, we talked about our words, and Jesus says the only thing that could come out of you is what? What's in you. So nobody makes you mad. If mad's what comes out, if anger's what comes out, guess where it starts? In you. Now, can people rub up against your life? Can people bump you, say things, frustrate you? Absolutely. We'll do it probably every week of your life. But Jesus says the only thing that comes out of you is what's in you. And you're responsible for what's in you and ultimately what comes out of you. And catch this, what comes out of you and I is actually a warning light for what's going on inside of you. That last blow up, however it manifested itself, woo, the warning light's going off that something's broke down in here. In here. Now, maybe you've done this before. You ever been in a situation where it comes out and you say, like, I, I didn't mean that. It just slipped out. You know what that is? That's a big uh-oh. Because that's only revealing what what is inside of you. Or maybe it goes like this. You've been in a situation where you say something, and whoever you're talking to, your spouse, your employee, your kid, your parent, you can just like see the defense just mounting up on their face, right? Or see the offense mounting up on their face until the point they say, man, that, like, I can't believe you said that. And then we respond this way, right? We say, well, no, 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 that's not what I meant to say. And what we do is we justify ourselves based on our intentions and not necessarily the effect of our words and the damage that they may have caused. Now, I'm going to make it even more personal. Uh, Men, this is me and you. Ladies, don't listen for just a minute, okay? Uh, Men, don't miss this part. Fellas, here's what we can be guilty of doing many times. Often we speak harshest to those that we claim to love the most or to those that we're closest to, 
And sometimes, fellas, I don't know about you, but I've done it before in 15 years, where we can just walk into a moment <clears throat> and just wound our wives with our words. Man, it just comes out, right? James 3 says, careless words stab like a sword. Woo, so true. And we can speak a wounding or a difficult or a hurting, painful word to our spouse. And then she looks back at you and she says, man, I can't believe you said like that. That hurt. And listen, here's where our brain then goes and sometimes it verbally comes out. Well, I don't understand why. Right? Like that's, that's how I feel. That, I, say, I say the same kind of things to my coworkers, my buddies. Like they, they don't get offended by that. Right? Like when Ted messes up at work, I'm like, dude, you're terrible. You need to get it together. Like, come on, bro. And he doesn't go in the corner and cry. So why, why does it upset you like that? Watch this. Here's not what we're saying, but here's what's going on in that moment. Here's what we're saying to our spouse. Hey, you know what? Babe, I've been here for all of this conversation. whole thing, I've heard every word. I know what I said to you. And actually, you're wrong for being offended because you know what? I never intended for it to be offending to you, so you're wrong for having that feeling. Aren't you so glad that I've got you, you've got me in your life to tell you how my words go and tell you how you should feel? Now you hear that and you go, like, that's, that's crazy talk. It is. But it's how it comes out. And we justify ourselves based on our intentions and not the power and the effect and the damage of our words. James says we fight because we want something. But we don't get it. So a good question for us all to start asking is, what is it that you want? What is, what is it that you and I want? Now, I believe there are some legitimate desires, to go back to James' word, there's some legitimate desires, like, um, I want to be loved and respected. Uh, I want intimacy with my spouse if you're married. I want you to call me when you're late coming home from work. Uh, I would like my parents to do this, or I wish my kids would do that. All desires, catch this, all desires are not bad. But the problem is, when we move our desires onto someone else, and we expect them to meet all of our desires. When you place them on someone else, catch this, very quickly it moves from desires to demands. This is true particularly within the marriage relationship. I realize I'm using a lot of marriage illustrations because, whoo, that's a place of conflict, okay? But you carry it on to any other relationships in your life. Desire, demand. Now listen, it's a little bit different at work, okay? Because that's a contractual relationship. You provide services or you lead others to provide services. Desire, demand, marriage very similar to parenting, right? That's, a, that's supposed to be a love relationship. It's not contractual. Now, here's why I'm saying this. The moment a legitimate desire, like, hey, call me uh, if you're going to be late coming home from work, or, hey, I would love for us to have dinner together. The moment that a desire turns into a demand, you have created a debt-debtor relationship, and there is no space for genuine acts of service and unconditional love. Let me put some situational flesh on this. For example, um, let's say that I had a desire for my wife Heather to have dinner ready, um, cooked and ready on the table whenever I walk in from work. Okay? Is it a legitimate desire to eat? Okay? Yeah, some of you are like, I don't know. You seem really mad. I don't know what the answer is. <laughs> We're just talking real life today, okay? Is it a legitimate desire to eat? Yes, okay? Well, watch this. But if I move that desire into a demand, and I look at my wife, and I say, hey, babe, I expect that. Like, if we're going to be married, like, this is part of your role. You get the food, and we have it on the table. When I come, it's four days a week. Watch this. 
when I walk in and she's made some of that fine smelling pot roast and veggies and it's on the table, watch this, how much room is there? If it's a demand, how much room is there for selfless acts of service from her part or an unconditional response of love on my part? Zero. None. Because you know what? In a debt-debtor relationship, when it's a demand, you know what? The other person, you know what they can reach? They can only reach par. That's it. That's the highest they get. Now, if I was to take that desire and to keep it in the desire box, not the demand box, then when I walk in and she's loved me by providing a meal for me and cooking and thinking about me and she has it ready to go on the table, and there's a massive amount of room for me to go, thank you for loving me and a response of unconditional love because it was the desire. See, here's the trick. In a good, healthy relationship, and we're maybe not all there, but we're working that way. In a good, healthy relationship, people share their desires with one another that the other person can meet. People who love one another make it a priority to meet the other person's desires. Or it sounds like this, hey, it brings me great joy to bring you great joy. That's true in a marriage. It's true in a parent-child relationship. It's truth in that and a friendship. But here's more often what happens. Here's why it's broken. You ready? James chapter 4, verse 2, add this phrase. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. I'm reading NIV. Some translations use the word murder. And you're like, whoa, that went off the deep end fast. A little little dramatic James. But I believe James is saying this because who did he learn from? He learned from his brother who was Jesus. And Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. He says, you've heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Verse 22, watch this. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, is answerable to the court. Final phrase. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. I'm just reading what the word says. Okay, it's not Brian's thoughts. These are Jesus' words. Jesus says, if you fool comes out of your mouth, it's like killing someone. Ever caught anybody worse than you fool? Okay, I think that's like the PG church version right there, all right? James says, the problem is not what people have done, but it's the desires that battle within you and then come out of you. We just want everything to be our way and work around us. And James says, that's the root of where the conflict starts. He finishes verse 2. Here's what he says in the rest of verse 2. He says, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have... Because you do not ask God. You see, the problem is not just that it starts in you and me, and then that we don't get what we want, so we murder and we kill with our eyes, with our words, but it's that you and I can't solve the problem. Like, you and I can't solve the problem because we are the problem. 
It starts in us. And that's why some of you have been trying to bang your head against the wall, trying to fix the conflict in a relationship for weeks or months or years. It can't come out of us. We need something greater than us, is what James is saying, to fix the problem. And he points us in that direction with the final sentence of verse 2. We just read it. He says, you do not have, because you do not ask who? You do not ask God. James says, part of the solution, a great starting place towards the peace, towards the reconciliation, is prayer. It's the invitation of God to know him. So I would just like ask you and me today in our real life world, like, are you praying about it? Like in the midst of the conflict, the tension, the tizzy, the, the disunity, like, have you, have you prayed about it? And I know the church answer is like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're praying about it. No, like, really. I'm talking about, like, seriously, have you really? Because James says you do not have because you do not ask God. All right? and, and typically, it's like this, right? You're in a fight, and in the midst of the fight with your spouse or your kids or your parents, like, man, it just, boom, escalate, volume, temperature, intensity, everything. I can't believe you this and you that and you always and you never, right? And then we slam the door and we walk off down the hall just to let them know we're still a little mad. We make those noises like, oh, okay? Ladies, it doesn't quite sound like that. A little couple, couple of keys up, all right? But we make those noises, all right? And then you walk into the room and, and you go, what? And it hits you. And you're like, oh, yeah, I remember the preacher said, He's, I'm supposed to pray about this, okay? Dear God, would you just help my spouse and would you just fix my parents, right? <laughs> Listen to me. I'm not God, but God has to be going, are you serious? For real? Like, I just heard how you fought in the next room. I heard every word. I was actually there for all of it. And this is how you come to me? What if we brought the same intensity with which we fought with and we prayed with that same intensity to a holy and a sovereign and a reconciling God? He goes, it's not too big for me. I created this whole thing. I knit you together. I knit them together. James says, you don't have because you don't go to me. You, you don't ask God. Sometimes we don't ask God because, raise my hand on this one, we think we got it under control. I've lived through it before. I know how it goes. I can figure it out. And the truth is, we can't because we are the problem. We have desires that are unmet, and God says, would you bring them to me? In fact, he says, cast your what? Cast your cares, cast your anxiety onto me. Why? Because you can't handle it, but he can. And in prayer, it's this beautiful surrendering. That's what prayer is. It's not, God, will you do this thing that I'm saying? But in the act of prayer, it's a releasing from my temporary, broke-down, disunified self to go, God, I'm trying to fix them. That's not how it's going to work. So, God, I release that to you for you to work. Do you know what the four commands regarding prayer in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, do you know like, what they really are? You just summarize them. Pray, pray, and keep on praying. Ask, ask, keep on asking. Seek, seek, keep on seeking. Ask me again, ask me again, ask me again. Read it. Like that, that's the summary of it. James says the reason you don't have is because you and I don't ask. We read it, but we don't seek him. And instead of trying to manipulate people to what we want, what if we went to a holy God and said, would you work where I'm insufficient to? And in prayer, there's this surrendering. And, and James gives a warning, though, in the final verse today, James 4, verse 3, the final warning. He says, when you ask... You do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend or use 
whatever you get on your pleasures. I think this is what James pointing us to. Listen, so much power in this. There is a difference, church, in praying for someone and praying about someone. We're great at praying about someone. Okay? God, would you just fix my lazy husband? Would you get him off the couch, help him get a better job, provide more money for our family? Okay? That's one way to pray. Wrong. Okay? But that's one way. There's a whole difference in praying for them. When you pray about them, the reality is, in many moments, we're trying to use God to meet our own ends. And I'm just kind of convinced that God will never fuel and fund you and I's selfish motives. But if you want to change your heart about someone, you fill in the blank with who that is, then you learn to pray for them. Because I think it's next to impossible for your heart not to soften just a little bit about somebody that you are consistently taking to your heavenly Father. God, I'm praying for them today, not fix them. But God, would your presence be real in their life? Lord, would you help them to know your grace? God, would you help me to have love for them? And the whole game begins to change. See, a legitimate place to start is by literally saying, God, this is what I want. James says, you don't get what you want, so you quarrel. So what if you, I know this sounds crazy talk, but like what if you voiced to God, if he's your heavenly father, God, this is what I want. Like literally, like if you said it out loud, maybe it's in your closet or at your breakfast table and everybody else is gone or it's in your car and you and Jesus just worship and spending time together. God, this is what I want. You put it into words. You say it out loud because hear me, if you're a follower of Jesus, then scripture says, Who's the gift to you? The Holy Spirit, who does what? Who corrects you, who directs you, who instructs you, who encourages you. And so if you say it out loud, God, this is what I want, right? You may get a response from the Holy Spirit in your life who is your comforter and is your God, and he may go, nope, that ain't it. That's selfish. And you go, it was me. And he may go, yeah, it was you. But sometimes it may be a legitimate desire. And you share it with him. And listen to me. Sometimes he may not meet it like you want. And the million dollar question is, why not? Isn't he a holy God? Isn't he, doesn't he love me? And I would just have to answer that really difficult question by saying, I don't know. But I do know that he created all things from nothing. And he's been sustaining it now every moment, every second. He created you from cells. <laughs> so I'm just choosing to trust that he's sovereign. And whatever the situation, the conflict, the tension of your life, I'm pretty sure he can handle it. It's not too big. So James says, will you bring it to him? We bring that desire to God, that want to him over and over. I believe we pray it. And you go, well, how long do we pray? I don't know. Maybe here's a good measuring stick. What if we prayed for that conflict, for that relationship, for that situation, until we got to where Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane? Remember that story leading up to Easter? Right, Jesus praying. Jesus had what I would call a pretty legitimate desire. Jesus, in his human state, wasn't fully sure he wanted to bear the whole weight of the sin of all of humanity, including you and I, to the cross. That was his desire. But he prayed. You remember it? He prayed over and over and over until he prayed what? Not my will, but your will be done. And so I just ask, if you're praying about your situation... 
Have you prayed until you got to that point? James says you do not have because you do not ask. And the truth is, church, the only place of reconciliation where conflict will ever stop is here, is when we realize that God and God alone is the only one who meets the desires. It's only him. He's the only one who can do it. I know you're like, well, that's church talk. No, I'm just saying that's creation talk. He made us. He formed us. And when we, don't miss it, when we put our needs and our wants and our expectations on people, in essence, they become our functional savior. And there's nobody in your life or mine that can bear the weight of that cross. Nobody. It will crush them. And I heard a statement this week that whoever you idolize, whoever you lift up and you're like, well, you can meet my wants and you can meet my expectations and you can meet my... Whoever you idolize, watch this, the moment that they let you down, you will demonize them. You know, that's kind of strong talk. Let me help you understand. That person that you're married to, when you were dating two years ago or 20 years ago, and they pursued you, and they passed you notes in class, and they bought you things, and they wrote you notes, and they gave you flowers, and it made you all feel warm and fuzzy inside, and you wanted to dress up for them, and you wanted to take her out for a nice place to dinner, and you were like, oh, this is going to be so great. And then you got married, and you had lifted them up because you thought they would be the only thing that would fully fulfill your life, and guess what? And then you got married, and then they didn't. And now you've got so much conflict and tension. Because whoever we lift up and idolize to a place that they cannot bear, the moment that they let us down, we will demonize them. And conflict and tension, James says, it arises. And it's, listen, it's true with your spouse. It's true with your kids. It's true with your parents. It's true with your boss. It's true with your pastor. Anybody that you lift up to a place that they can't have and fulfill fully in your life, you'll then question their place in your life. Why? Here's why. Because of the fleshly desires that you and I have, they're unobtainable. Like no, no one on earth can fully meet them. You're like, what are you talking about? None of you or me have woken up on a Monday morning and been like, you know what? You know, I, I think I've had enough love. Like I, th- I think the love tank of my life, like it is fully and finally satisfied. Like I just, man, it's just overflowing. No one's ever said that. Why? Because the gas tank of your soul and mine, it will never fully and finally be filled by anything of this earth other than a life-giving relationship with Jesus. Just won't. You can try it. Lots of people are. But those who are being fully and finally satisfied know him. And the thing we have to be honest about, church, I didn't say it's easy or popular, but the thing we have to be honest about is all of us have had fights and quarrels and conflicts in our life. Some of them may be very recent, maybe last week. And it wasn't all because of our spouse, because of our kids, because of our boss, because of our friend. But it was because of us. It was you and me. Jesus calls us, here's the command from Scripture, he calls us to be reconciled to one another. And I think there's a great difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Let me try to draw that line. Forgiveness, we're all called to it. And forgiveness in some moments can be unilateral. It can be just one way. I can forgive you even if you don't choose to forgive me or you don't receive. Man, I can forgive you. Reconciliation 
requires repentance and forgiveness. It requires two people leaning in towards the call of reconciliation on our life. Now hear me, for some of you, and I don't know your world and all of your story, for some of you, there may be relationships in your life that, that can't be reconciled this side of eternity. There may be relationships where it's unsafe to reconcile. What do you, what do, you do in that situation? Well, I think maybe you pray that God grabs a hold of their soul and that he saves them like he's hopefully saved you and you can be reconciled in eternity. But until then, man, you pray for them. But Jesus commands us to forgive. What does that even mean? We know the word forgive, but what is Jesus saying? What Jesus calls us to forgive, hear me, not because the person deserves to be forgiven. That's not the qualifications. Forgiveness is not a feeling, but forgiveness is a debt-debtor relationship where you choose to cancel the debt. Um, imagine with me for a second. I know like we don't really have these in today's world, uh, unless you're in the banking world, like a, a debt ledger. You may know what I'm talking about with a debt ledger. Okay, students, like they're to so into that. Uh, flying all over Instagram, just debt ledgers everywhere. Okay, um, here, here's what a debt ledger is in, in simplicity. You've got one column, and it has all of the debtors. Okay, that's all those who have done you wrong, what they, who they are. It, I mean, list the names of the accounts. Then you have what the debt column for simplicity. That's what they owe you. That's how they've done you wrong. Now, we're talking financial terms. We're about to translate it to relationship. If I was to give everybody in the room today a hard copy, like a paper copy of a debt ledger, and I was like, hey, we're just going to be silent for a little bit and just get to writing. Chances are you, you could start filling that thing up, couldn't you? I mean, you could write your ex up there or your spouse or your kids or your parents or your boss or your old best friend. And then I bet over in that debt column, you could probably list, I don't know, maybe two or three or 27 different things that they owe you or they did you wrong and they this and they said that and it's been there. And Here's the question. What are you going to do with the debt ledger? We, we all have to make a decision. Will you cancel it? Or will you relieve it remaining outstanding? And some of us have left some debt from some debtor outstanding for a long, long time. I heard a phrase this week from a reading that I was doing, and man, God dropped it right into this talk, and I wanted to share it with you. You can see it on the screen. It says this, the first to apologize is the bravest. The first to forgive is the strongest. The first to forget is the happiest, but make no mistake, the first step is usually the hardest. Man, that statement just stopped me in my tracks this week. Because so much of our world, so much of the church doesn't get that, isn't willing to be the first. But Jesus calls us today, if all you want is peace, here's where it starts. The point is this. When you have fights and quarrels and the problem is you, and sometimes it is you and me, you go quickly to those people that you have wronged, you own your part, and you ask for forgiveness. And then when the table is flipped... Because it does get flipped. 
And when you have conflict where somebody's done wrong to you, you have to choose to forgive those people. Why? That sounds hard. Why? But they this. Listen to me. If for no other reason in the universe, it's because Jesus has chosen to cancel your debt. In fact, here's what Paul would say, Ephesians 4.32, heavy but amazing truth. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Ready? Buckle up. Forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave who? You. You. See, Ford Taylor, who's the founder of Transformational Leadership, um, created a six-step apology that I came across this week that I think is incredibly practical, incredibly clear, and so much biblical foundation to it. Um, and I wanted to share it with you today because here's, here's my hope. If you've been hanging out here long enough, like, we don't just preach things. I'm not here to get a few head nods and a couple of notes taken. I'm here so that we might be transformed to live differently, to live out our purpose for the glory of God and for the good of our lives. All right? And so today, man, my hope is in a real and a relevant but yet a heavy word. I get it. Conflict's very real. And my, my hope is that we would let what we've heard today sink in. It would, it would literally begin to affect. Like, I know it's no place to like, try to actually be obedient, but what if we did? And let it really begin to change our lives. I want to show you what this six-step apology looks like. I would highly encourage you to write it down, screenshot it, whatever you want to do. There's going to be six statements here. I want to give them to you very quickly as we get ready to close today. Here's number one. State the offense. State the offense. Now listen, all these words matter. This is not like child's play. These words matter, like saying, speaking the words out loud. You state the offense. You state whatever you said. You state whatever you did. Or hear me, whatever they said that you said, and you're like, no, that's, no, my intentions were not that. No, you cause damage. You state what you said, or what they said, you said. Like you repeat it back. Hey, I, I said this. No doubt, I, I, I did that. Or, hey, you, you, you heard it this way. This is how that came across and what that did to you. You state the offense, number one. Number two, you ready? I know you're loving this. This is great. So good, right? Admit your error. Admit your error. What does that sound like? Hey, you, you're right. Um, I did do that, and, and I was wrong. And at my house... The rule is that statement doesn't end with but. No, that's it. And listen, it rubs up against every part of that pride and flesh in you. Oh, I don't know about how I could say that. No, like, I'm, I'm, do you want peace? You admit your error. You're, you're right. I mean, I, in that situation, man, I blew up. I said this. I did that. I went there. And, and that was wrong. Number three, we're getting to the apex of the mountain. You apologize. You literally say the words, I'm sorry. I apologize. Number four, I can see you are having so much fun. Seek forgiveness. You seek forgiveness. Listen to me. The last three, highly important. Seek forgiveness, which means 
that you look at the one that you offended and you ask the question, will you forgive me? Or maybe it needs to sound like this, when you can, will you forgive me? In my house, we're still figuring a lot out. And when we have our little heated moments of fellowship, here's how we work towards reconciliation. Whoever the offender was, they say that question. They speak that question. I was wrong for this. State that. Disrespect. Disunity. Saying that. Doing that thing. And then we ask the question, will you forgive me? And then we wait on an answer. Sometimes that may be two seconds. Sometimes that may be two hours. And when the other person says, I forgive you, reconciliation can begin. So you seek forgiveness. All right, and listen, step five and step six, you're, you're really not going to like them, but this is next level. If we're really pursuing peace, this is it. You ready? You grant accountability which means you say, I, I give you permission to hold me accountable not to behave this way anymore. Which means you better check your ego at the door. Because when you look at your spouse or you look at your parents and you say, hey, listen, I, like, I, I did. I, I did that. That was wrong. I'm asking, will you forgive me? And listen, like I see the damage that caused I, I don't want to do that anymore. Listen, I'm, I'm prone to wonder. I'm prone to still get back in my flesh. So I'm, a, I'm asking, will you help me? And in my marriage, sometimes that's meant, hey, when I go there again, when my mouth starts running that way again, baby, would you just put your hand on my arm? And I'll know what it means. Because I'll know that when I was in my right mind, I told you that when I'm not in my right mind, that you help hold me accountable. So you grant accountability. And number six, you ready? This is awesome. You ask if there is more. Like you say, is there anything else that I've done that I need to apologize for? And I realize, listen, if there's any flesh in you at this moment, it's like, why don't you just be a doormat? Like, why don't we just go back and talk about the last 35 years of all that I've done wrong? And I would just say to you, how bad do you want peace? Do you want 73% of it? Or do you want 100%? And my desire is that I would walk away from those conversations of those relationships where there might be tension and there might be conflict in my life, and I would walk away pursuing 100% clean slate, clean peace, so that we can be reconciled and we can start all over together again. But listen to me, going first many times is the hardest. You know what causes fights and quarrels among you and me and God? You know what it is? We just want to be the Lord and the King of our own life. It's way back to where we started today, right? It's those desires. It's that hedonism. It's the you don't know who you're talking to that's inside of all of us, and we all have it, and we've proven it over and over and over. And church, the truth is today, if Jesus was to keep a debt ledger of our lives towards him, I don't know about you, but mine would probably go on for quite a while. 
And the truth is that Jesus, just like you and I, Jesus had a choice to make on what would he do with the debt ledger. Would he leave it outstanding? Or would he step in where God says something has to pay for the debt? So I willingly take on, as God, I take on flesh, Merry Christmas, and I come into humanity to give my life on a cross so that the debt might be paid in full. That's your story if you're in Christ. Hello. Good news today. And now the response, now the response is, is those who've received that grace and that forgiveness, may it now flow through my life and yours to those around us. Thanks for joining us online today. As we gather, we sing songs of worship, we center ourselves on the truth of God's word, we encourage one another through community, and we do it all so that we might be changed to live more like Jesus. Through our time today, we pray God showed you what it means for you to follow Jesus with your life and to live as the church in the world. We are available and ready to pray for you and encourage you as you discover and grow in your faith. To speak with one of our ministry team members or to have someone pray for you, you can text your first name to 601-397-6111 or message us through any of our social media channels. Our ministry team would love to pray for you and help you in any way. You can also find reading plans and other resources to help you take next steps in your faith on our website. That's www.theexchange.cc. As we close out our time today and prepare to scatter as the church, let's speak out loud our declaration together. We believe the great exchange took place when Jesus, who had no sin, became sin for us so we could know God. We exist to see people exchange their old life for new life in Christ and live out their purpose. Christ's love compels us to exchange ideas for truth. God's word is our standard. Selfishness for serving, we will serve others. Pleasing for reaching, we will share our faith. Keeping for dispersing, we will make disciples. Forgetting for celebrating, we will praise God. We are the church.